Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. We are a community-inspired conversation featuring boundary pushers, rabble-rousers, freaks, and geeks who are shaking up the $23.3 billion promotional products industry. My name is Mark Graham, co-founder of CommonSkew, and I'm pleased to introduce a topic that's dominated headlines in our industry for the last several days. That is tariffs. On May the 10th, the government announced a sweeping tariff increase from 10 to 25%, which impacts the costs of several promotional products categories. As this news is fresh, we wanted to explore the impact on promotional product suppliers and distributors. We are lucky today to have Larry Cohen, president of Distributor Access Promotions, and Josh Goodelman, president of supplier Liquimark, to weigh in on the good, bad, and the ugly around this tariff announcement. All right, so it's with great pleasure that I welcome Larry Cohen and Josh Goodelman to the podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Happy to be here. So I'm going to start with you, Josh. Josh, can you explain for the Promo Kitchen community as to what happened last week with regard to tariffs? And I'll also say that the purpose of this podcast is not to wade into politics. We don't care what party you support. What we do care is discussing how this tariff increase will be impacting positively or negatively the promotional products industry. So with that, Josh, are you able to get into a little bit about what happened last week with regard to the facts around this? Sure. Our government enacted the additional tariff that was already implemented on 10% of 10% tariff on $200 billion worth of products coming from China. And that percentage increased from 10% to 25%. And from what I understand and how I understand it, this went into effect on Friday, May 10th. And the unclear aspect of it is that many people think that the tariff implemented instantly for anything that arrives. It's clear to me to understand it more that product that was loaded on a ocean cargo vessel prior to this date will not be affected. Okay. It's not about product that arrived on May 10th. Everybody was scrambling, thinking that's the case. It's not. The government's allowing the time of what would in essence be the transit time right. for get here to make whatever necessary changes you need to make in pricing structures and things like that. So that does go into effect though. Anything that got loaded onto a boat and departed China on May 10th and after will be affected by this increase from 10% to 25%. Got it. And that cost is based upon the FOB departure cost from China. So that's basically what happened. There's still some unclear, some things happened this morning where there was an additional tariff raised on only $60 billion of additional goods. There's some additional chatter about the 25% tariff being added to all goods, the remaining goods that were not tariffed before. And that is still potentially going to happen down the road. And that will affect every product that comes into the country, into the US that comes from China. Right. So effectively, if you had product that was shipped on May 9th, then you're good to go. So in judging, let's say a seven to 14 day crossing. So there's a seven to 14 day reprieve for distributors that had product the water beforehand. But after that, it's a bad news situation. The time frame might be a little bit longer, but yeah, you have it right. So I want to go to Larry in just one second, but Josh, just to understand 
from the supplier perspective. So if you have a product that is your cost 10 cents, okay? So you're bringing a pen in, it costs 10 cents. I'm just using that as a round figure. That's not the price that we pay as distributors. It's the price that you're paying from your Chinese factory. That means on May 9th, you were paying 10% tariff to bring that in so that your cost was 11 cents. Now that 10 cent product is hit with a 25% tariff post May 10th, which means that your cost before you apply your margin is now 12 and a half cents. Have I got that math correct? You have that math correct okay. so that your audience doesn't panic. The tariff did not affect writing instruments just yet. Right. <laughs> Thank goodness for us, but it does affect other products. But the mathematics that you explained is 100% correct. Right. And also bear in mind, certain products do have additional tariffs before this 10 or 25% value. So right. I was thinking of the same monetary scenario as you before we got onto this conversation. For example, crayons. I'm going to use crayons as a complete example. Crayons is not currently affected. Crayons do not have, I'm thinking about like a little four-pack restaurant crayon, do not have yeah. an import tariff currently to any capacity. Right. And if the government enacts the tariff, this 25% on all remaining Chinese goods, that 10 cent cost will now go to 12 and a half. Right. For pens, there is an existing tariff that's also added to that as well. Right. But that's unaffected. So right now at Liquimark, the tariff situation as enacted by President Trump has not impacted Liquimark or any suppliers that are in the writing instrument category. That's correct. But the concern is that that's coming down the line based on some of the rumblings that are coming out of Washington right now. Correct. Right. Here at Promo Kitchen, we are proud to be partners with and members of PPAI, one of today's sponsors of this broadcast. Today's Promo Kitchen podcast is brought to you by Promotional Products Workweek, which is May 13th to 17th of this year, 2019. Promotional Products Workweek is an industry-wide celebration dedicated to increasing awareness, building your business, and uniting our entire industry with one mission, one purpose, and one voice. So May 13th to the 17th, get together with your team, your peers, and your community to meet and greet, serve your community, advocate for the industry, and celebrate your customers and clients during Promotional Products Workweek. For more information, check out ppai.org forward slash events. Thank you so much. So Larry, moving over to you, of course, Larry, you've got a sizable distributorship in New York. And I know that import business is a big part of what it is that you do in terms of working with suppliers to import product. What's the mood like at Axis right now? It's a little chaotic for some of our sales teams. We have a good importing compliance team here. So we've been on this for a long time and we have probably sent out three or four communications out to our clients, just keeping them abreast, like news you can use. I mean, we don't want to assume that people read the newspaper or are getting stuff from TV or radio. So we have sent out things just to keep them abreast of what's going on and also to warn them to be prepared for these types of situations. And it's interesting because the situation, as you know, is pretty fluid because as of two weeks ago, everyone thought there was not going to be any more tariffs imposed. And then it kind of popped up on Monday or Tuesday and got implemented pretty quickly. 
the running joke in the office is, is that Shamini Peter, who is an expert in this area, mm-hmm. she believed all along there were going to be additional tariffs and we bet a quarter. And a few months ago, I made her give me the quarter and put her initials on the back of it. Mm-hmm. And I kept it up in my office. And she came to my office on whatever Monday or Tuesday and told me I had to give it back to her because now she was proven to be right. Right. So we were talking to clients. I mean, we are literally in situations now where some of the impacts for some clients are in the you know tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yep. And so some of the products been delivered. Some of the products is on the water. Some of the product hasn't been shipped out yet. So what Josh was talking about, we had the same conversation on Friday that you know, we don't have to pay the duty for the stuff that's on the water, but the other stuff, we're going to have to do it. And now our clients are asking us, well, what can we do to avoid those situations? Can you take raw materials and ship them to Vietnam or Cambodia and then ship from there? And so we're jumping through a lot of hoops now. We have a lot of clients that are in panic mode. I think we did a good job letting them know that they need to be prepared for this. Right. But it is going to impact so many areas of our industry. And you know, it's already starting to impact what we think are going to be future orders as well. So Larry, I've got a question for you in terms of customer management. In some of these cases, you may have finalized a price with a purchasing person two, three months ago. And do you have some clients that come back to you and say, Larry, you're a good guy, but the tariffs are your problem. We're not paying a cent more for this. Is that a reality at Access with some clients? Knock on wood so far, that hasn't been the reality, but I think it's because we have been really proactive right. about it. But without that proactivity, I would fully expect all of our clients to come back and push that towards us. Right. And again, as I said earlier, the, the situation is still fluid. Right. So they could still come back to us and say that, though we are really pushing hard to avoid that. And I think just by having, you know, doing a podcast like this and having open conversations, this is one of those things that people just need to talk to their clients about, including even putting a provision in your purchase order, Yep, which would be really smart. Yeah. Josh, I know you had some thoughts on this as well. Yeah. So it's interesting because we have two sides of our business. So we sell retail. I sell to Walmart and CVS and Target and Staples, and we sell product to the promotional products industry. It's all the same product. Just the retail product is packaged for retail and resold at major retailers. When the first round of tariffs came in, I, I can't tell you how many retailers, writing instruments are not covered. We're a destination for writing. That's all we do. We do complement our product line with other school and office supplies. So the only products that we do carry that are affected by the tariffs currently and have been for a few months are uh, glue and paints. And we faced a very big challenge from some of our retail customers who came at us similar to what you were asking Larry, saying, hey, this is your problem. We can't accept the tariffing. We can't accept any price increases. So you need to handle this. And the reality is, is we do have to have a proactive and a productive conversation with our customers, be it on the retail or the promo side. And interestingly enough, I had customers, promo customers on Friday emailing me projects, custom packaging projects that we're working on that we are producing overseas in our factory, asking me right away if these products are going to be affected by the tariff increases. And right now we're adding to all of our quotes that you know government-implemented tariffs may affect our pricing going forward based upon changes implemented by the government. We can't control it. Right. And there are some customers who can't accept that. And there are some that completely understand it. Right. 
I think that having these conversations and this podcast and trying to educate more the customer will hopefully be extremely helpful for all of us. Josh, have you had to do that in the past in terms of put specific language that says pricing may change based on the whim of a policymaker or a government? Or is this new? Never. It's new. Right. It's a whole new thing that we're dealing with. And like I said, fortunately for us in writing, it's not affected, but we expect that it's going to be. Yep. And I think that we just have to use simply this standard wording that the industry is going to be comfortable with and used to hearing from other suppliers with product lines that are effective currently. Yeah. Typically, is language in contracts for situations that are beyond the control of the recipient or the contracting party. So acts of war and things like that. And these types of you know, policy changes that are really not announced and don't have kind of these long lead times for people kind of to adjust to them, I think could easily fall under those types of things, just to make sure you add some language in that would include that. Right. It reminds me of a tactic that we use at Right Sleeve quite often. And of course, Right Sleeve, having the majority of its business in Canada, an analogy is, and we've been used to this for a long, long time, is that if we're ever doing product where we're either bringing it from a U.S. supplier or an offshore order through a supplier or direct, there'll always be a clause that is a currency clause. It's not a tariff clause. It's a currency clause because we're purchasing in U.S. dollars and we'll give the customer the option to pay in U.S. funds or in Canadian funds if it's one of these uh, larger import orders. Most of the time, a Canadian customer is going to want to pay in Canadian dollars. And if we've got six months, we'll have an index that we'll put on and say, this has been based on the currency rate of X. And if that fluctuates, you know, greater than X percent, because we'll pad it a little bit for the client's benefit, if it fluctuates higher or lower from this agreed upon index, then savings will be passed along to the customer or an extra charge will be passed along to the customer. So it reminds me a little bit of language that we've had to put in because years ago we got burned on this sort of thing because the Canadian dollar was up and down. It was just all over the place. So I think that so much of it comes down to setting the expectations of the customer. And I think that most customers are pretty reasonable. A customer just needs to have their expectations set so their budgets don't get screwed. And I think it's the mark of a professional to showcase the realities of our purchasing environment to be able to level things off for customer. Totally agree. And, you know, I just think the bigger question now is, is this is going to accelerate and whether it's intended or not, it's, you know, it's putting a lot more pressure on people like Josh and, you know, other suppliers in the industry to really go out and see if they can start sourcing in other countries and places that, you know, have better duty rates and environments. It's something that the apparel industry has done for years, right? They're chasing, you know, who's the lowest cost supplier and also places that didn't have duties in place. So they were constantly moving around. Right. Is there any silver lining in this? I'd be interested. I'll start with you, Larry, to get your distributor perspective. And then Josh, I want to get yours. I'm not really angling at anything, but I always feel like when you have decisions that are made at a level that's beyond our pay grade or <laughs> beyond our level of control. A lot of the times we look at it and say, oh my gosh, the sky's falling. This is horrible. But is there a silver lining in any of this? Larry? I mean, I think the silver lining kind of relates to the comment I just made. I think it kind of starts opening up other parts of the world. I mean, China had already kind of 
started moving away from being always the lowest cost provider just because of changes that were going on over there in terms of you know people getting benefits and hourly wages and all the things that we all should be advocating for anyway. And I think this is only going to accelerate that and possibly drive companies to look at other countries, which is not a bad thing because I think that enhances their ability to buy U.S. products around the world. And also, I think I don't know if we're there yet, but you know, at some point, some U.S.-made goods will become more competitive, and some people may look to move some things back to the United States. So, I think that, in the long run, will be a silver lining because it will leave us less reliant on China. Right. Good point, Josh. How about you? Silver lining. My instant reaction to the silver lining is, hey, you know, a hundred feet from where I'm sitting right now, we're manufacturing markers, highlighters, and pens. Yeah. And you know, it's something that as a supplier that sets us apart from other suppliers in the writing instrument category. Writing instruments are the largest volume category product in the industry. Yeah. And that's simply because the pricing is so aggressively low and it's a battle out there. So I feel that like the silver lining is, hey, this is great. We're going to keep pumping. We're going to go back to running 24 hours a day in our production facility. And this is great for keeping jobs and creating new jobs. Here in America, right, and and a lot of people don't realize how much, while Walmart is affected by so much product coming in from China, they had implemented several years ago a made in the USA push for product in all categories. Right, they put hundreds of millions of dollars behind this initiative, and we take part in it. I supply five SKUs to Walmart that are made in the USA, and they're an incredible company that supports that and to deal with. So I would think the silver lining is that. I agree with Larry. It does open up the door to other areas of the world and create this you know, international business model that goes beyond China. Right. You know, My fear in that too is, well, at what point will the same tariffs be implemented in the other countries we may decide to source from? Right. There's a difference and there's additional logistical issues yeah. and costs involved. So it's all to be determined, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I suppose at the end of the day, if you think about tariffs, you know, if I put my high school economics <laughs> curriculum to use here, the reason why you have tariffs is to shore up domestic manufacturing and to protect local manufacturers. So you're right, Josh, if this means this starts to shift purchasing away from China and to, let's say, Vietnam or to other countries in Asia, what's to say that the government doesn't put a, a similarly punitive tariff on that as well? before everything is kind of driven back to the US. I remember having a conversation, I won't mention their name, but the head of a large top 40 supplier that does a lot of bags. And I remember I was speaking to this particular person and they were saying that made in the USA is, is great and all, and it would be wonderful in theory, but the challenge in their particular category is that there's just not domestic production available in that particular category that would allow this supplier to stock inventory, let alone the price. And so this particular person was really down on the idea that bag production in this particular case would ever come back to the US in any meaningful way. Josh, I know you're not a bag person, so this may be unfair to ask you this because I know you represent writing instruments, but do manufacturers of writing instruments have it easier than, say, other product categories in the promotional products industry as it pertains to producing domestically? No, I don't think so. I think it just depends on the infrastructure of what they might have available to them at the moment. So, right. you know, and how their business built and was evolved. 
we were manufacturing markers and pens here before the industry or whether it was promotional industry or major retailers were importing a highlighter from China. Right. It wasn't available. So we yeah. still have that infrastructure. So the, the cost for us to re-enter the market in a more aggressive way is very low. Yep. I look at it as an opportunity if I need to buy another machine, assembly machine or injection molding machine, so be it. Yep. If we can compel the reasoning behind it to do so, to justify that. Yeah. I think that whoever the bags buy, maybe their cost to re-enter the market is just significantly high or yeah. the materials are high. Yeah. We're seeing for, for what we do though right now, I mean, it happened today. The, the cost of plastic is driving up now. Yeah. You say you put your economics curriculum back to work, right? So there are areas that you know, can affect it. I think it just depends on what the infrastructure and raw material costs are and where they come from. Right. Well, I think you've hit upon a really interesting point. So in this particular case, this is a supplier that's importing product and they're decorating locally. So right off the bat, they have a different, I wouldn't call them a manufacturer at all. Whereas in your particular case, you clearly have manufacturing capabilities. So I think that that's the difference. And I think if you're an importer slash supplier, and local decorator. I don't know what we call that, but (laughs) that's a bit of a a mouthful, but you understand what I'm talking about. I think it's a very different issue for them because they don't control the manufacturing process within the US. They may have factories in China, but they're not in the US, which is where I think that this comment was made from. Well, one of the issues also, which is, you know, again, even if the capacity was here, you know, what you hear from a lot of suppliers in our industry now is that they can't find labor. Yeah. To, to actually do it. And, you know, sewing is a skill and people can clearly be taught that. But finding the capacity to do that, I mean, I think that's where, you know, when people miss out on when you look at, I mean, obviously, Josh, you've been in the business for a long time. So you've built up this reservoir of people. But when you go and you see a factory in China, you see how big it is and how many people are there. It'd be very difficult to replace that in any significant way yeah. in a cost effective manner. Agreed. Larry, what does the domestic purchases at Access look like? Is there any kind of initiative where you go and actively promote domestic purchases, or is that really more driven by what your customers are looking for? Well, since all this has been going on, I mean, I think we've always tried to introduce where we can, you know, made in the USA product, and clients are always aware of made in the USA. Sometimes they have to pay a little bit more for it, but I think they are finding, and we have been advocating for the fact that you know, with the changes that we talked about earlier going on in China and, and higher shipping rates and everything else, that the delta between what it used to cost to do it overseas and cost to do it domestically has actually gotten to be much smaller. And the benefit of doing something domestically is just the enhanced flexibility to order less and then constantly replenish or make changes faster and react quicker to, you know, kind of more immediate needs. So we have definitely been pushing more made in the USA and, and of course, only where there are good suppliers that are doing that, you know, like, you know, Josh and Liquid Mark and places like that, that actually have experience doing it and, and are delivering a really good value. Right. Josh, you made an interesting point about the cost of plastic as an input cost for you. I know that in your time as a manufacturer, you've likely experienced big spikes in your input costs. I don't know if this is a stretch, but I I think I'm trying to draw a line between the fluctuation in tariffs that we're seeing right now and that of just your raw material costs in terms of what it is that you pass along to your customers. So 
my question is, you've mentioned that this is the first time you've ever stated that your prices will change based on what happens with tariffs. You've never had to do that before. But have you ever had to absorb a massive raw material cost in the past and have ever thought like, hmm, it would be nice to be able to pass this along to my customer, but didn't because they wouldn't buy it? Yeah, we did. No, we, we definitely did. We, we were affected by it. I'm going to guess maybe about 10 years, um, probably about eight years ago, plastic costs, which are driven by the cost of oil, yeah. went through the roof. What we do on a regular basis is you know, reanalyze our average costs of materials. We watch the market trends for raw materials such as plastic, which is a commodity. And with our crystal ball that we think works correctly, we try to determine to what level do we need to increase pricing. And you know, about eight years ago, the plastic costs had gone through the roof and we had no choice but to raise prices. And even with our major retailers where we had to come to them and say, this is the reason why. So we were able to justify it because it wasn't an unknown that you know the cost of uh, plastic, which is driven by the cost of oil, which is a commodity that is publicized on a daily basis. Right. So we did get a little resistance, but they were accepted. Right. We're not a supplier who comes in every year and just decides to raise prices at an X percent across the board year after year. Right. So it was understood. It was digestible. Right. Now I think about how do I plan for the future, right? Right. And when I look at you know, the products that we can make here, great. And hopefully that is the silver lining and we can increase our USA made assortment and products and sales. But I don't make a stylus pen here. Right. I sell millions and millions of stylus pens. They're all made in my factory in China. They're our molds. Everyone who's a supplier in the industry is bringing their stylus pens in from China. And it's a battle out there to win for price. Yeah. So using your example, which the whole world needs to realize it is a complete example of easy numbers of 10 cents for a cost of that pen is now 12 and a half. Can we absorb the two and a half cents? Yep. On a stylus pen in a commodity product, that's a me too type product. The answer is no. Yep. We don't have the margin that two and a half cents is, is not something that we can absorb. Yep. We have to be very, very careful how we approach the increase because there are distributors out there who will accept the increase and understand it and value the relationship and who they buy from, even if they have to spend a penny or two more. Yeah. But the industry search engines of the world that the rest of the distributor network is using, who are searching for a product and sorting by price, you'll be out of the running if you raise your price too high as a supplier. No, you're right. That's a real challenge. You're right with the search engines because their job is to display products at a certain price. And if some searchers are trying to sort on price, then you could be left out out of the cold. I mean, <laughs> that could be the subject of another podcast. Yeah, I'd, like, I'd, I'd love to participate in that one too. Yeah. I want to go through that mathematical example here. And then I've got a question for Larry. Kind of came to me interesting. So Josh, again, this is a hypothetical example. So if you're bringing a product in and it costing you 10 cents, the former tariff of 10% now 25%. I know it doesn't apply to writing instruments, but let's say next week, that is the reality. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now, Josh, your product cost that was 11 cents now becomes 12 and a half cents. I've already given that example. Now let's say Josh, again, hypothetical example here, everyone don't hold me to this. Josh, your margins are 40%. Okay. So in that case, your margin on that 11 cent product now is 18 cents net to 
Larry. Okay. That is going to jump up to 21 cents net to Larry after this tariff increase. So based on that, now Larry, again, this is hypothetical. You have to go to your end client ABC and you now have this product that is now 21 cents that's brought in from China. Do you now look at that, Larry, and say, well, there's another product that I could get you from the US that is 21 cents as well, or maybe even 20 cents? Is that now something that you would see yourself presenting in an effort to minimize that price hike from the Chinese made product? I mean, I think that's our obligation to our clients is to present them with those options. I mean, clearly, once they've approved something, they're usually loath to go back and start looking at it again because they usually have to go through multiple levels of approval processes and pre-production samples and all that other stuff. But for many of them, they don't necessarily have the money in their budgets. And I think that's going to be the challenge for all of us going forward, that the increased duty does not mean people are going to go back to their powers that be and say, look, you know, tariffs just went up 25% or 10%. And then we need more money. They're going to say, well, just make do with what you have. So they're going to be finding less expensive product or they're just going to market to fewer people. And I think that's going to be the challenge. And so I think it will be our obligation to go back and try to find an alternative for them so that here's your option. We'd love for you to stick with this pen. But if your event is for 300 people and you can only afford, you know, 275, you cannot have 25 pieces for somebody. So you kind of get pushed into doing that, even though you're doing twice as much work for, you know, potentially less margin. Well, and I think the sort of the angle of my question there is if let's say, you know, you're talking about this event for 300 people and the net cost is now 21 cents, you may look at this particular promotion and say, well, pens are too expensive now. How about a USA made magnet, for instance? You can still do 300 and the magnets are actually 20 cents net. You'd be talking your retail cost there. But I think that that's what's kind of interesting is looking at this. And I think that, and of course, I've got my distributor experience as well here. I think what distributors are really good at is being able to deal with all these fluctuating prices and understanding what the market has to offer and moving end clients into different categories. Now, yes, I totally agree, Larry, that if you've already signed the paperwork and you're producing a pen to switch that into another product midstream, very difficult. But more what I'm getting at is at that at the outset that now with this increase in tariffs, distributors now have these more expensive products that are coming in from China that they could be presenting to their customers, but now they can be shifting them into different products that will generate the same results for potentially even less cost and they may be domestic products. Definitely. As long as the client's open to that, I mean, you know, that's the one amazing thing that I love about our industry. The plethora of options that are out there that can service, you know, a need. So the ability to, to, you know, show them other items that would be desirable for the recipient clearly exists in our industry. Yeah. I think that that's what I just find so fascinating about the distributor business is there's so many different types of products. I mean, of course, Josh, we all know that writing instruments are amazing, but if you look at all the different substitutes that are out there in the business for the same budget, if not less, is really, really fascinating. So I'm not suggesting putting my distributor experience to bear here that this is great news. I mean, of course, anytime that tariffs go up and create uncertainty in the market, 
that's never a great thing. But what I think you've seen with the very best suppliers and the very best distributors in this industry that each of you represent, of course, is the ability to be flexible, the ability to communicate, the ability to be transparent. And I think with that, you'll end up winning as opposed to scaring customers away with all these random extra charges. So as I say, I'm not necessarily jumping for joy that this is great news, but I think that what the best suppliers and distributors have always known is that you have to adapt and you have to educate and you have to be transparent. Agreed. Josh, do you have anything that you'd like to say in closing? I'm really fascinated with your supplier perspective and and particularly because of the fact that you have not experienced these tariffs, but I know that you're expecting they may come. And any advice that you have for your distributor customers in terms of how they might navigate this? The initial thing that comes to my mind to say is don't panic. Don't panic so fast because your end user client is still a member of this world who's hearing these things going on and it's going to be questioning the same thing. How is their cost going to be affected to the the distributor? The same way the distributor is coming to us as the supplier. How is our cost going to be affected? So let's not panic. Yeah. And simply work together, work together with your suppliers, work together with your clients and come up with a viable solution. To your point, you said a moment ago about, you know, how people, there are other products out there that you can purchase. And despite the tariff, we just faced it last week. There was a client, a distributor of ours who had a client that they were originally going to order USB drives and they needed a hundred thousand units. Now look at a USB drive is more expensive than a pen or a highlighter, correct? Yeah but they couldn't get their hands on 100,000 units to have delivered by the end of May. So they came to us and said, we need a product. We know you manufacture some. What can you make us? This is the situation that we're in. And we had a productive conversation. Sure enough, we did. We're making 120,000 highlighters and we're making them this week and we're going to ship them next week. So work with them, work with each other. I'm not always going to be the solution. I wish I was. There are ideas. There's ways you can get creative, maybe in how the product is presented in packaging. You know, there's different sizes, varieties, pack sizes. That's what we do in the retail world. Sometimes a three pack is going to have to go to a two pack. Yeah. And just don't panic, work together and ask questions and be open-minded to what's out there because there's no clear path really indicated by our government just yet. There's not a hundred percent clear path. And I have a feeling it's going to continuously evolve and change as time goes on. Yeah, absolutely. And Josh, I think you raise a really good point. I think that along the lines of don't panic. I think this is where you know the the partnership between and building partnerships between you know suppliers and distributors and really working together to satisfy the needs of the clients. Clearly if their order is in-house, maybe everybody makes a little bit less money but keeps the client happy and you know uses that as a selling point for the strong partnership or just working together to come up with a solution as opposed to kind of the scenario that Mark presented, which is, well, now your pens are too expensive, so I'm going to go sell them something else. I think everybody should just always start saying, I'm going to go find someplace else that's cheaper. I think it's figuring out ways to work with the people that have worked with you to get the order and try to figure out a way that make it palatable to the client. This podcast has also been brought to you by our good friends at Sanmar. Sanmar believes in the power of promotional products. Since 1971, this family-owned apparel supplier has been dedicated to passionately serving customers through trusted brands like Port Authority, Nike Golf, OGO, District, District Made, and Sport Tech. You can check them out online at sanmar.com. 
You can also tune in to Sanmar's new twice-monthly podcast, Sanmar Radio, for expert insights and inspiration to grow your business. Larry, I'll just uh, ask you one thing in closing, and this may be a good way of, of ending it on a positive note, that it sounds to me that at Axis, because of your proactive communication with customers over the last little while, that even though you've got some product that is in production and will be shipped after May 10th, clearly because we're not recording this after May 10th, that Axis is not going to be eating any of those costs that you've been able to successfully transfer those costs off to customers because you set them up for success and let them know that there was always that possibility. Is that the case? I think so. I, I wish I could say that with a hundred percent assurity. But again, you know, some of those people are waking up today, and and even though we've been talking to them about it all along, the reality really starts to hit home. Right. So the conversations are ongoing. I don't think that we are going to get stuck with you know all of that money, but we are having to work really hard in trying to find solutions for those orders that are still sitting overseas. Right. Yeah. And and I know I'm putting you on the spot by asking that question, but the reason I wanted to ask it on behalf of the whole community is that I think that there are some pockets of the industry that see this as the sky is truly falling. We as distributors are going to get totally screwed because of all these extra costs that are going to be coming our way. And Larry, with you and the size of your distributorship and the amount of exposure that a distributor like you would have at this point in time, and knowing that you've had those conversations with customers and that you're pretty certain, and I know it's still early days, that you're pretty certain that you'll be able to transfer those costs off to customers, I think is pretty amazing. Uh, so, so good on you. And I hope that you can act as a source of inspiration to maybe other people that if they haven't had those conversations, that they certainly should be having those conversations. Not only should they be doing that, but like, think about all the things that you might've quoted over the last three months. Yeah. Right. So Maybe those things haven't been ordered yet. Maybe they're still out there. If you don't have anything that's overseas now, and I don't mean overseas directly through us, but it could be overseas through any of our suppliers, yeah. because that's the conversation you're going to have to have with them also, because they're the subject to the same thing. You know, you need to go back to your clients and say, look, this is beyond our control. And whatever you quoted them, you know, if you're making huge margins, congratulations. We don't have those kind of margins, but if you don't, then you have to say, look, we need to modify our quotes and. You know, going back to what Mark was talking about, that's why you see a lot of quotes that come in. There's a date that they're only good for. And, you know, Josh, you mentioned USBs. I mean, I, th- I think it was like a few years ago where like a USB quote would be good for 24, 48 hours because the stuff is fluctuating that fast that they were just saying, look, this is how the world is right now. It's there for, yep. you know, give us an order now or we'll requote it for you in a couple of days. And you think about silver lining in all of this, I think that the very best suppliers and distributors in the business are the ones that are great at content. I mean, Bill Petrie on his podcast, Unscripted, has talked a lot about this where, and a shout out to Bill, Promo Kitchen Chef, that he is often talked about this, if this gives you an excuse to contact your customer and to educate them about what's going on in this industry, then immediately, that's awesome because you get some time with your customer, and B, it's differentiating you because you're providing value and education on a macro topic. And I think that's an extraordinary opportunity for suppliers and distributors alike and a great excuse to reach out. So there you go. Two silver linings. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. 
Well, gentlemen, I know that this is a topic that is very much in flux and it's a, a fluid conversation, but I think that this has been a great starting point and really appreciate all your time on behalf of the entire community. So thanks so much, Larry and Josh. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.